for us, by us. You know it is FUBU. And in black fashion and culture, there's no way you can tell the story without FUBU and all the history and impact that it's had throughout 50 years of hip-hop. Hello, everyone. This is Jabari Young, senior writer and editor here at Forbes. And in a minute, I'll be talking to Damon John, one of the co-founders of FUBU, an iconic clothing line, LL Cool J, helped put it on the map. And again, 50 years celebration of hip-hop. Love to talk shop with Damon John, how he became an entrepreneur coming out of Queens. Fourth Black Entrepreneur's Day coming up in Harlem and FUBU, right? Discussing FUBU and over $5 billion in retail sales that that company has done throughout the course of its history. Damon John, right now. Fourth annual Black Entrepreneur's Day is uh, coming up at the uh, Apollo Theater uh, in Harlem. Michelle Ebanks, definitely uh, see new CEO of, at, at the Apollo. Definitely a great job that she's doing <laughs> so far. Um, so tell me, in 2020, that's when you kind of yeah. came up with this concept. Where is it at now? Again, you're four years in, and, yeah. and what did you learned about Black <clears throat> Entrepreneur's Day? Well, I learned a lot. You know, um, you know, I, I started four years ago when we were all home watching kids uh, burn businesses instead of build them. Yeah, and I figured, you know what, I want to do what I can do to to give them the information and the inspiration um, that you know that they need. I think to educate them on how to become successful at it. Mm -hmm. And then four years in, going into my fourth year, I've given away over seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in grants, and this year we will almost hit the million dollar mark. Um, had had icons take the stage, right? Um, you know, Kevin Hart and Ron from Run DMC, and I mean, everybody, Tyra Banks, whatever the case is, and giving away this money. Um, what did I learn from it? <clears throat> I learned that the brands that and or the ones who wanted to be on the marquee right next to me that said, we stand for what you're standing for, they're still there. I learned that the ones that came and gone, uh, kind of like, oh yeah. yeah. George Floyd, yeah, you know, and then they've come and gone. But I realized that the brands and the organizations that have stayed with me didn't have to stay with me. They already had also assets and resources really allocated towards the African-American community. And uh, uh, what I think is when I think of brands like Nike, they'll kneel when they need to kneel and they'll stand when they need to stand. And when, you know, and as you look at brands out there who are tried and true, they stay to who they are. It's not for the moment. And uh, as we see brands now kind of back away from African-American initiatives and act like uh, the things that are happening in this country ain't still happening. Yeah. Oh, it's just not being recorded as much or stopped, but it's happening. I'm learning that you're seeing a defining reason why some are successful and some are not. Yeah. What I'm also learning, though, is that <clears throat> um, the African-American community we always, you know, my buddy George Frazier always say, we're the last to hire and the first to fire. Um, and as you look at what had may have happened in the past as systemic or may have happened recently as um, COVID issued money and we get a, a, a small portion of it, I learned that when you see a community of African-Americans who are going and competing in a healthy way against other African-Americans for the grants, right, businesses just like them, issued by an African-American man, issued and helped issued out by the NAACP, I see they sign up yeah. a massive amount because w I've had some great buddies of mine, Dave Portnoy and various other people who have grants and loans and they call me up and say, Damon, why aren't African-Americans signing up? And you know what I say? 
the most likely thing they're not going to do it uh, or get anywhere. And you know what? They only have but so much time in the day. Mm -hmm. And they're going to go and find and look for the things that are going to be uh, easier and more fulfilling towards their business and help them solve a problem. Yeah. So after all these years on Shark Tank, <clears throat> That Shark Tank is a globally recognized brand and applied by everybody, 15 years. <clears throat> we have about 30% of that same number annually now that are applying. And that's a lot. If you have 10%, only 10% of the country yeah. can apply to something and it's almost like one third of what applies to the whole Shark Tank after 15 years, that means they see promise or they, 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 they see hope, you know, and inspiration. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I'm glad it's still going. I'm from North Philly, and uh, yeah. we, we, I grew up and we had this Unity Day, and over time that Unity Day really helped the uh, community I'm from, really helped unite us. And over over time, it just kind of fell off. Now, I know the business side of it now, the sponsorships and things, the money made if I fell through. But events like this, after yeah. post-George Floyd 2020, I think entrepreneur is a key word. That and generational wealth are the two ones I'm finding are the most used amongst uh, black people. So I'm glad that they're excited yeah. to do this. In the event space, though, I can't lie. It's becoming so crowded, man. Everybody's got a conference. The Forbes BLK is coming up. Forbes, we do a lot of conferences. Yeah. What's the biggest positive surprise you've learned about putting on these this conferences? Again, you're going into four years now, and I know it's a live stream, but people still do attend. What I learned is the biggest challenge is everybody want to party. Yeah. I'm not here to party. Yeah. We're here to give you the resources that you can define partying for the rest of your life in whatever means that may be. That may be going into a school and being able to party with a lot of our youth that don't have opportunity and then now all of a sudden you have an app or a business that you're able to empower them and bring up the next Damon Johns, right? That's the party we're trying to throw. And I'm not saying it's purely for African American. You're trying they're all trying to party somewhere, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you don't hear about the great things that NAACP does at the NAACP award, but you hear about going to Vanity Fair. You know, I don't know too much about the Oscars, but I know everybody wanna go out for the Vanity Fair party. Yeah. People like the party. Right. But what else have I learned is that there are, um, you know, with all these events and, you know, access, everybody says people need access, right? They don't need access. People need to access the access, right? You know, we all have these little supercomputers in our hand. Any information we need is out there. Not unlike probably when you and I grew up and there, there was no, you, you went to the library and you read a book by somebody that was dead. All right. Right yeah. in real time, there's access, and so out of all the people that go to all those events, there's a very few finite people that go there, and they actually learn and they use those resources and they activate that access, and that's all we're looking for. We need one more person to be bigger and better than Damon John will ever be. Every year, we get one more of those. Think about how many we'll have in 20 years. Absolutely. Well, I mean, listen, let's get into who Jamin, Damon John was before you know we, we talk about where you are right now yeah. and where you're going. I mean, listen, you grew up in Queens. Steve Stout was just in the very seat you were sitting in on Friday. And mm. we, were, you know, we were going in and we were sharing stories. And we, as we sit here in October 2023, we are in the 50th year of hip-hop. Right? Yep. That's something that definitely inspired you. Um, Steve Stout was talking about Shirt Kings. And, mm -hmm. and then there's the, you know, Dapper Dan, you know, and all that. And, yeah, and yeah. I, definitely a part of the culture. But, I mean, talk about where, where you kind of got your start to become a designer. I mean, was it just sitting there and you you seeing all of this happen in front of your face and you want to get into no, it? No, I was in real time. So I was in house Queen. So Steve Stout actually uh, helped me uh, with some uh, integrating LL and uh, the FUBU ad, uh, integrating the Gap. I think mm -hmm. he was working with him. He also, I think Trackmasters was the ones who 
did my Fatty Girl song mm-hmm. on. Uh, so Steve is uh, that was yours with Ludacris? Yeah, that, uh. that, was, that was the Fubu album. Yeah, <laughs> and and Steve is an icon in yeah. the business, and I love what he does. I love what he does over translation. Uh, I was ha- fortunate enough to literally grow up in Hollis, Queens. So, you know, hip hop was created in the Bronx and slowly made its way into Queens, right? But who literally out of these couple of square miles comes from Hollis, Queens? LL Cool J, Run DMC, Salt and Pepper, Tribe Called Quest, DJ Clue, uh, Ja Rule, um, uh, Waka Flocka's mother, Irv Gotti, Irv Gotti, Hype Williams, uh, Fifty Cent. Um, and I'm not gonna forget my mentor Stephen A. Smith. That's the guy. He, he came Stephen there. A. Smith, <laughs> um, Ed Lover, yeah. Dr. Dre, uh, uh, Yo MTV young, Raps. You take me back MTV now, Raps, man. Young MC. Yeah. Uh, 50 cents, yeah. uh, Onyx used to cut my hair, you know, um, uh, you know, intro. Yeah. We all come from this area, right? And cut about intro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jeff and all them, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so many people. I mean, Bernard Wright, uh, you know, all of them, all of yeah. them, right? So, yeah. <clears throat> so growing up in Hollis, Queens, uh, it's funny. Um, I used to, yeah, actually, actually, uh, the guy that, if you ever listen to Run DMC's song, uh, uh, Larry put me inside the Cadillac, right? I remember Larry saying to me, hey man, you can really dance. You know, I, was, I was a break dancer, a popper. He said, uh, why don't you go on audition for this group? I got an audition and I got an audition for Houdini to be a, a, a dancer on their tour. My mother said, boy, you ain't going on no tour. <laughs> and some guy, some guy out of Atlanta named Jermaine Dupree took my place on that tour wow. as a kid. But you know, we were able to see these music artists because what happened was in 86, like in every city around the world, a very cheap drug came in and it started to devastate the cities. Yeah. Um, and we didn't have any heroes growing up in the community because most of the heroes, we wouldn't see them. They were going to work at five o'clock in the morning, right? They were going and taking care of their kids. They weren't running around the streets. They were investing in their families. So who are the heroes? The drug dealers driving by in fancy cars, right? We didn't even see heroes that look like us on TV. I mean, Fred G. Sanford, the junk man, was on TV, but didn't look like he was doing that well, mm-hmm. right? But all of a sudden, we started to see these people drive by in fancy cars, and they weren't pimps or drug dealers. They were creating yeah. music around the world, and they were enjoying what they were doing. Yeah. So I remember going on the first tour. I wanted the first national rap tour. It was LL Cool J, BC Boys, um, um, uh, tri- uh, not tri- uh, Fat Boys, uh, Big Daddy Kane, Rakim, all, all those guys. I go on this tour. I'm going on with my friends. Like we just we would go when they're in like Troy, New York. We'd take a bus or a train, get up there. And so one of my friends and I, one of my friends said, hey, I'm going to be the biggest guy in music. I said, man, I'm going to be the biggest guy in fashion. Another guy said, I'm going to be the biggest guy in videos. Another guy said, I'm going to be the biggest drug dealer in history. And we were all about 15, I think. And that was me, Hype, Hype Williams, Irv Gotti, and the other guy was the guy who Hype made the movie Belly about, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. DMX. Yeah. And we all got to the level that we we, we were happy about in our, our lives. Well, the guy with DMX, he just came home after 27 mm-hmm. years in jail. But the bottom line is that's who I was. I grew up in this world of hip-hop, and I would, you know, and then I grew up in New York City. So we would take the train and go into New York City and go to Paradise Garage because I was 14. I couldn't get in. If I had finally snuck in, I would stay in Paradise. I would go on Friday night. I wouldn't come out till Sunday morning because they had a little movie theater. You could hide in with your book bag and a backpack. Yeah. And we just saw this crazy culture, and that's where I came from with just understanding hip hop and 
and the love of hip hop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you said Fat Boys, it takes me back to that movie Disorderly. It's like, man. Disorderly, the yeah. Fat Boys. Damn, yeah. you're a rich man. Oh, you're yeah, a rich oh, man. Yeah. man. Great, great times, man. And I think people don't realize that the hip hop is, is, is the voice of African Americans from the streets, but it was the voice of everybody. Absolutely. Right? Because if you look at the big, you, you, you would say hip hop, well, they didn't, it came from African Americans. Well, the first big ones after, you know, uh, you know, Grandmaster Flash and all that, it was Deborah Harry. It was Malcolm McLaren. It was the BC Boys. And they all were together, Rick Rubin and Russell, right? It was this really great melting pot of collaboration, pop, funk, and rap. Yeah. I tell you, uh, you're, you take me back to a great time again. This is what I grew up in, right? And it's good to, to see it because I was telling people, when I go around and speak to the universities now and I'm talking to kids at Columbia University and we're talking about, and I'm like, man, I was around when the internet was first coming around, when Black Pan, when we were just discovering, hey, I, I could talk to somebody in Florida. Oh, yeah. Because all we knew was what we saw, right? Yeah. And so here you are at 15, you know, you're running around, hip hop is inspiring you. But then let's fast forward to 1993, right? That was a great year. Queen Latifah dropped, Tribe Called Quest. I mean, it was a great year. I think Black Rain came out mm -hmm. um, that year. And also, that was the movie? a year. Uh, no, no, no. It was her album, I think it was. Okay. Uh, Queen Latifah's album, believe that's believe it what it was. Don't quote me on that. I'm okay. a journalist telling you not to quote yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, take me back to that time where where, where you were creating FUBU. And then you, you kind of helped LL, or LL kind of took it to the, to the next level. Because I know coming up in Philly, we had Carl Kanai, and then it was that, 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 you know, cross and Fubu started to work out. It worked its way down to Philly. And we're mm -hmm. like, all right, what is this? Is yeah. it cool? Is it not? And you know that that was a golden time. But what was that like developing that brand? Well, it was a golden era. It was, it was just amazing. And so um, cross colors that came out and they went, they went up and they went down fairly quickly. Not because, not really, because their fault. They were they they put uh, uh, most of their clothes into a company called Merry Go Round at the mm -hmm. time, and Merry Go Round in the filing chapter, and so now their pipeline was was busted, right? And then great brands came out of there. I think Walk Aware, but I definitely know Carl and I worked over there and stuff like that. And Carl is who inspired me, mm. you know, because Walk Aware, uh, because excuse me, Cross Colors made some generally yellow and red and green, the kente cloth colors, but I said, I love that and I love my my, my heritage, but I wanna wear a pair of blue jeans, yeah. man. I don't even trying to look like a, you know, you know, a lollipop walking down the block. And then Carl and I came out. Mm. Um, and then it was a golden time in general because what was happening was you were starting to see these people who were, you know, previously maybe music or sports and athletes and things were coming. Matty Rich was starting to create movies and and John Singleton, right? And then you had, so you had the ownership of that, right? Now you got Bad Boy coming up and you have Def Jam, of course, right? Yeah. So the new Barry Gordy's. Then you got... Um, the Source, which uh, and uh, uh, Quincy Jones vibe, and you got you hearing the story, and BT's growing. It was just a great time, yeah. right? And you felt this camaraderie, and we were all out together, and we were trying to all work together. Um, and uh, yeah, so what really happened was that was a really special time in hip hop, where and we were also doing things that we never done before, right? We were. We were now controlling the narrative in the videos, and you started hearing people talk about. It. If you really look at those videos back then, 
Puffy and all of them were happy because they were all finding scooters in Miami. Yeah. You, you remember that? Time. And then yeah, all of a sudden it moved absolutely. up, right, to this yeah. level and that level and that level. So yeah. we were growing. And, and you know who helped me grow? Carl and I helped me grow, yeah. you know? A lot of people don't hear these stories, but Carl I was when I was I had $27. I was at the Magic Trade Show. I didn't have any money. He saw me. He said, I think I know you from that ad. Come in the show. I know you don't have, you know, you don't have pass. I got you. He introduced me to all his buyers in the show. Right, so you don't hear that story. I distributed Fat Farm in Europe for Russell. Nice. I found a guy named Jeff Tweedy and put him over as the president Sean of Sean Combs. John. That's right. That's right. right? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people don't realize we hear more of the stories and this is the issue of or or this is the this is the sweet spot for black entrepreneurs day that you need to know that we have always worked together. Mm -hmm. This theory that we don't work together is absolutely wrong. It is wrong. It is the, you know, when I first got my office in, in uh, Empire State Building, I'm looking out of this office, a card comes, and this guy who already had a clothing line wrote on a simple card, I see you. His card was by Spike Lee. He already had 40 acres and a mule, and he sent me a card and says, I see you. That was the that was one of the things that I will remember for the rest of my life until I remember you know I, I met him several times but I remember I remember seeing him a couple of years ago when he had that Oscar and we were at the Vanity Fair point I said I see you man yeah so these are the stories that people need to hear because you know you're only hearing these other stories and by the way when I say Black Entrepreneurs Day it's people of all colors too coming together to award this money to people and educate people. We only are hearing about the negative. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, we could talk all day. I love the fact that LL kind of helped put that, you know, FUBU on the map. Kind of help. Well, There's yeah. no kind of Well, I mean, it. listen, you still needed the people, right? Because LL careered all day, That's but true. people still needed to go Yeah, no, 100%, but I mean, you know, you know, LL doesn't get enough credit. No, to me. he should. He, he And should. he doesn't, right? Yeah. Because I think that from being such a, a legendary artist who has spanned the test of time so many years, but also being that person who said, I don't know if was ever gonna be anything. I'm going to jeopardize my career and go into a Gap ad and say a name of a new brand and let them spend $30 million airing it and Madison Avenue will probably never touch me again. Yeah. It's about taking risks. And I share LL's story all the time because, you know, uh, I remember when I first heard his story. It's one of my favorite episodes on Combat Jack, I Bless His Life. And I share with kids all the time. I said, you know how LL got into Def Jam? He kept calling. He kept sending his tape over and over again until the fact that Rick Rubin and those dudes got tired of hearing from him and said, dude, pick up the tape and just listen to this dude so he can stop calling us. Right. And you discover LL uh, uh, Cool J, right? I so never heard that. You got to be persistent. Wow, you I never heard be that story. Yeah. You got to go back and listen to Combat Jack. I do, I do, Jack. I do, absolutely. I do. You know, let's fast forward now because again, you know, you know your your brand Fubu is still there. You still yeah. own it, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. as I'm going, I went to the WNBA game, the, the the Brooklyn or Liberty versus the Aces. And as I'm getting on the sub, I look down and I said, "Don't say Fubu." Uh -huh. And there's a pair of sneakers, and so it's still here, right? Yeah. But think about all the brands you've inspired. Again, I'm from North Philly, so we start state property. I mean, you go Rockaway. I think Sean Dada John, was out of, out of Philly. Dada, Dada Blaine, all, all of that. All of that. I mean, you yeah, know, yeah. Sean John. Yeah. I mean, I'm from an era where you rocked the, the Jabot jeans. Grand Poole yeah, was yeah. known for that, oh, yeah, right? Yeah. The guest jeans with the pencil pocket. Oh, yeah. When you look at where we are now, right? Because I don't know if kids, they didn't appreciate it. Now, I look around now, they mind all I see them wearing is Gucci uh, and the oh, yeah. Christian. It's elevated a level, right? 
can we get to a time where you see maybe an urban line come up and maybe get that type of support? Absolutely, I think so. You know, and maybe we have one in actively black because I know you, you kind of was yeah. I helped actively yeah. black. I got I got them their license for Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, and I look at them. I think so. You know. But I got to tell you something about the brand, and you know, people try to take it personal. You know, United Color Baton, uh, they're not doing a, uh, well, I think it was a United Baton, whatever it was, right? But Levi's, I came in the market, they were doing 18 billion, they went down to three, they're coming back up, right? Mm -hmm. So fashion itself is fickle. And we, we, we can talk about the, the legend, there, there are some brands that are unicorns. Nike, Louis Vuitton, Gucci, a couple of them, right? But where was Prada before a couple of years ago? And Coach, right? They, they fluctuate, right? I think there's always gonna be room for amazing, um, you know, brands of, of any culture to pop. I mean, it's just gonna be how do they build that culture? You know, and, and it's all operating and, and how do people operate it? You know, FUBU today, if we decided to change the brand, um, and I think that if we, we're working on some stuff, if we decided FUBU earlier was you you never really saw as many African Americans who owned the brand putting the brand out. And that was something new and and you had Cock and I, you had Cross Colors, but when we started putting the four guys out on the tag, we got kicked out of a lot not kicked out, we didn't get accepted by a lot of the big department stores because they said it looks like an African American gang. We don't want those type of people in here, that's what they said to us. So we broke down those barriers with a lot of other people and we were happy about that. Today, FUBU's authenticity is a brand of black, uh, made by black people for a culture stemming from a African-American art made in the streets of the Bronx. That's nothing new today. But if FUBU was a brand today who said, I'm gonna give you $500 worth of FUBU that's worth $1,500. And I'm gonna only have one male, one female in every high school and every college as an authentic dealer. And now when you get, and it's, you're gonna get it on credit, first of all. And now you sell the $1,500 uh, worth of stuff, the rest of that's your money. Um, and by the way, as you sell more and bring more people, very much an Avon level, we're gonna give you more curriculums for financial intelligence or how to create your business, digital curriculums, because you're using you know, the brand. I think that's the new level of the brand, right? And please, somebody steal my idea. I'm yeah. cool with that, right? Um, so what I think is that brands will find other ways, like my Bomba socks gonna, uh, you know, this year hit giving away a hundred million pairs of socks and underwear to people. They found a different angle that was created by Tom, uh, uh, Tom Shoes. There's gonna be big brands out there, I think, from various cultures. Yeah. What do you tell an entrepreneur uh, for switching right into the business side of it, again, going a little bit deeper into retail? Because I definitely want to get your opinion on that before yeah. you leave. Uh, but what do you tell that inspiring uh, entrepreneur who's into design? And I see a lot of them, right? Instagram and social media, they help us discover these people, right? I see a, just a great sister on Instagram and Donna designed some great dresses. What do you tell that aspiring entrepreneur that's into design now about how to navigate this decade? Well, it's always going to be the fundamentals, right? What are you doing that you're absolutely obsessed with and how are you going to over-provide for your customer every single day and know that that's your job and take affordable steps doing it? Um, you know, and how are you using technology today to, to take the things out of your way that you can't do, right? Technology is not going to necessarily design that piece you want inspired for the same reason, so that's what you need to do. But, you know, 
how you grow in your community because that's the biggest issue. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you're selling, uh, you voting for you as a pol politician or you're selling, you know, um, nutritional food or liquor. It's all about the community you're building, right? And the designers today, they have something I've never had before. They can they can make things on demand. They can take advanced payment qu fairly quickly. They can put up their line of four or 10 or 20 pieces and say vote and whatever you vote for, we're gonna do and it'll be delivered directly to your door. They can get so many things that would have taken me years to get, right? They need to utilize that because it's always gonna be, you know, when you put your brand out, somebody else is going to take that brand and interpret it a way that you've never realized and you go, I never even thought about that. Yeah. But if you have these blinders on where you're just like, well, this is the way it's gonna be, this is the way it's gonna be, uh, that's always gonna be the worst thing you could ever do because you're not listening to your community. Yeah, $1.7 trillion uh, market was predicted in 2023 for US and, and retail. Um, when you look at retail today, and this was uh, about a year ago from some uh, reports, when you look at retail today, what's the state of retail as you look now? I mean, we have commercial real estates up and down. We yeah. say retail's in and out, but every time I go to the mall or, or when I go to these stores, I see lines. I mean, I still think people are buying. They're always going to buy clothes. You look nice, right? So I still think you're going you're to be buying, right? And so, yeah, but I would look nice in anything. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, what, what's the state of retail today when you look at it? Well, it, it all depends on what do we describe as retail. Is Amazon retail? Well, then Amazon has doubled in the last uh, X amount of months, right? Uh, retail, I find that retail is always going to be there um, but it all depends on are you giving somebody a unique experience and I like to invest in companies that are creating a universe or a unique experience right you know um, is Tesla doing well because of one aspect well maybe it's doing well because they put Tesla's in in the mall right so when the mom is uh, you know going shopping well the dad got a place to sit yeah. and then they say get the kid in the car or when the mom is there she not she no longer feels intimidated by having to pull up to some big lot you know you know people person and so why is there put the kid in the car well you know what I got a pretty nice car I promise you I don't have a lot but I got a pretty nice car I'm in my car really nice actually you know, my daughter's yelling out the window, look at a Tesla. Well, is it because that's on Roblox? Or because she sees it in the mall. Right? Yeah. And and then who dictate who dictates the buying in a household? It's always the kids or the mother. Absolutely. It ain't the dad. No. Right? Yeah. So um, if you go into Apple, well, you know, you go in there and now you, you used to have maybe an iPod or something like that. Well, now they have on your Apple Watch, you can hit a button and you're right into a world like Peloton or you're streaming movies or you're now getting creative, right? So it's the universe. And if it's a store, I always tell people, if it's a store, well, I can get the clothes at home, but I can't get a runway. Why is there a runway in your clothing store that I can put on everything I bought? I can link all of my social media followers to it and say, if you buy this outfit, I get 10% off anyway, I already bought it. It's an experience, and I think retail is going to be very, very strong. Right. Um, but it's just how are you absorbing retail? Because my wife on the other side, before you ever get to the mall, she bought ten things, mm -hmm. and it's being delivered to the house. Yeah. That's still retail in a form. Yeah, I saw a report that says luxury uh, stores, Gucci's, and they're actually expanding their in-person, their their uh, brick-and-mortar stores. And I'm thinking it's the experience. And again, we're at a time where young people, we grew up with the guest ginger bow jeans. Now we rocking Gucci. Like that's what rap stars have done. They've elevated us yes. to a luxury line. And now you see this whole new level of kids' lines 
that, that are coming, right? When you hear that, what does that tell you? Well, tell them the brands are expanding themselves. I mean, uh, they are, and I'm not really, you know, a lot of time retail itself uh, is kind of a lost leader, right? But you get to feel and you get the emotional, you know, attachment to retail because uh, when you see these people expanding their brands, you go in and your kids start to love the way it's set up. You see, because you can't set it up necessarily the way that you want it online. Mm-hmm. It, it looks visually, it's okay, right? But you walk into retail, now all of a sudden you, you're like, oh my God, look at those hats, look at those little, little gloves, oh, look at the big Christmas setting. Now that kid goes back with you and mom and that kid, you're, they're, now, they're now addicted to that. Well now, whether you're ordering online or retail, you've now got a new customer. And breaking the habit of customers' traditional spending is always gonna be the hard thing, right? Because if you know and I know, I'm always gonna wear shell toe Adidas. Mm-hmm. Always. I'm from Hollis, Queens. You have to wear Shelto Adidas, run DMC. So if you want to see me go in, I got these new sneakers. I don't call A Wall or A Wall. Did you see these uh, these running sneakers? I haven't. No. There's two new companies taking it over. I went in and I tried it on. I would have never tried it on online. Now, by the way, I'm five seven and a half. I want to make sure you understand the half, right? When I wear these sneakers now, I'm five nine, homie. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not sure if I'm ever gonna wear Shelto's again because now I'm 5'9". Now I'm one of the regular population. Now I wouldn't have done that if I didn't go into retail and see them. Yeah. I'm hooked now. I'll never wear another brand. So you understand, it's all about getting them in the door. Touch points. That's Listen, I I love where we are now and I love the ability to be able to tap it and you can go. But again, I'm from an era where you went into the mall to get it. We were just talking about shirking. You went there to get it. You went into those stores, you tried it on, and when you left, you couldn't wait to get home, go to the, the club the next night because you know you was going to be fresh. 100%. You it's, know you was going to be fresh. It's a great experience. Absolutely. And I couldn't wait for Amazon to deliver it. I had to go get it at the mall That's right. that day. That's right. Um, some leadership stuff, I'll let you get out of here. First, you know, we did talk about you in uh, investments, and I know that Forbes, we here, we did a story, we went inside of Shark Tank. And I I read that story over and I found it was very interesting. And I know you didn't back down. And is there anything that needs to change about the show? Because one of the things that stood out about that Steph Forbes article was that once these deals are done behind the scenes, the deals change. And I know you say, hey, listen, these people are getting up. It's like a first date. Right, we we don't know what we're getting, but once we get further on, we start to get to know each other. We see her breath, or his breath stinks. We don't want to go no more, right? Right, right? Anything need to change about that show so that way you don't have that clarity, or it will this always just be the thing? No, you know the articles that come out. Nothing against the journalists, right? Yeah. And I'm obviously I'm sitting here, right? I think we need journalists to keep us fair. Yeah, hundred um, percent. I do think that there is no new story on Shark Tank. Why? No, the guys are doing great. Everybody's doing great. Everybody's happy. Everybody's doing that. So what's the new angle? Well, the new angle I find from the journalists have been, oh, the deals don't close exactly like they do, you know, of the show. So uh, no disrespect to the the journalists, but for the most people who see it, who are business people, you know what they say? No shit, Sherlock. Are you saying to me the sharks actually negotiate a deal after due diligence? I'm so surprised. Right. For the everyday person, oh my God, are you kidding me? You ever go to a house and uh, after the engineer report comes back, the 300,000 you can offer them, they say the boiler's broken, you go, I'll give you 310. It doesn't work like that. That's just business. So splashy headlines and clickbait, that wasn't clickbait. I'm not not talking about you, actually. (laughs) I don't even remember the article. 
be yeah. very honest. Yeah. Um, and Forbes has always given us what I believe a, a, a good look at the stuff. Yeah. The people that talk the most about it is the sensationalized people, but I'm saying that nothing needs to change the show. The reason the show works is the purity of the show. We have adjusted the show, yeah. you know, in some senses, right? Um, uh, initially, the first two, three years, there was some kind of uh, ABC wanted some kind of um, royalty attached to it, right? Or whatever, um, whatever mm -hmm. percentage. We didn't get good deal flow. Nobody wants to come in there and do that, right? Also, we find that if people are coming in, you can clearly see that they're just using this platform for an advertising and commercial. Nobody benefits off of that no. besides them. The, cust the, the, the viewer at home doesn't get to see hardworking people, everyday people who needed a shot. Yeah, there's, there's a place to pitch those type of deals and that's fine, right? So we always try to uh, adjust the show, you know? Um, if a family's coming in with children, uh, you know, we always say, hey kids, um, if unless it's the kids' business, let mommy and daddy talk to, to the sharks. Why? Because that doesn't mean that that business is good or bad, but you, the show, we never want a child to see their parent right there told no. Right. So, so yeah. I love the show and I love, I love what has come out of it and I love journalists keeping it honest. Yeah. I love and, it. And like I said, I, I had you, I wanted to make sure if anything needs to change. And again, no. in that article you were quoted, you didn't back down from it, you know, and you, and you kind of said, and I thought it was a good analogy. Sometimes when it gets down the road and you need to change something and it is business, you have to take the emotion out of it, right? And, and yeah, that's, that has it, to be understood. It's all yeah. good. It, it, business is a transaction. Absolutely, it is. Leadership stuff now, um, you know, we can talk all day again about how you built the business, but I was, you know, looking around and I said, you know, I wonder what books does the brother like to read, right? Mm -hmm. And I see Rich Dad, Poor Dad is one of them. Um, Think and Grow Rich, right? And and that's another one. That is my number one book. That's your number one book. Think and Grow, Grow Rich, right? Yeah. Any other book outside of your own, yeah, outside sure, of your sure, own, sure. any other book that you can recommend an entrepreneur like they must read it? Oh, it's funny. So The Art of Barter. Mm. Uh, barter Who's that by? Uh, I'm not even sure. And the book itself you know, take away from it the art of barter because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize OPM is other people's manpower, mind power, manufacturing, marketing. Don't think of, everybody has something of value to trade. Yeah. Um, I like Blue Ocean Strategy, uh, where it shows about thinking outside the box again. Um, uh, the Greatest Salesman in Babylon, um, Who Moved My Cheese, One Great Manager, Great all these little book. books, the Spencer fundamentals Johnson of them, phenomenal. right? phenomenal. Yeah, um, and remember, I'm dyslexic, yeah. so uh, reading has always been a challenge. Now, thank God, I get them in audio. Um, I like Traction, um, the book. Um, but you know, Tony Robbins and, oh, Lewis Howes, his newest book, Lewis Howes, I forgot, uh, I don't forgot the title of that, and Tim Ferriss, uh, Tribe of Mentors. A lot of, there's a lot of great material out there. I don't actually like uh, you know, writing books, and I don't know if I'm gonna write any more for adults. I'm, I'm finding that um, the kid's book area where I'm doing right now is really the most fulfilling. Um, and the adult books are really hard to write, and I usually only write them after I get so many questions, something I can't answer, or tell somebody, well, check out this book, but I think I'm really gonna start mainly focusing on kids' books. Yeah, and I guess the illustration, all the kids in the, have FUBU gear, all right? <laughs> you know what, I don't want to, I don't want to defeat the, the point by putting stuff like that on there because hey, I want man, kids listen, to- Listen, market it, man. Uh, yeah, 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 you know what, but I got, I got, this is my three-peat where it comes to, you know, I did FUBU, hopefully I changed some lives, Shark Tank, I hopefully I changed some lives, but the one I'm gonna go to, uh, to the grave with 
is teaching our, our younger generation um, financial intelligence or financial wellness. Yeah, financial literacy, yeah. Yeah, John, yeah. John O'Brien always says this generation is about silver rights, right? Not silver, silver uh, rights. Uh, listen, one of my favorite books, Jim Collins, Good to Great. And, um, oh. you know, I always I, I appreciate I gotta read the question. That. Phenomenal book, and it teaches you about leadership, right? And yeah. I'll ask you, uh, what's the difference between a good entrepreneur and a great one? Well, I think that's kind of like a, a you, you kind of set me up with that one, right? With, a, you know, a good entrepreneur, I think, is one that is chugging along and um, being of service to people and trying to figure it out. A great entrepreneur is one who is taking affordable risk, um, being vulnerable, um, constantly educating themselves and putting their team first. Um, understanding that they are just as quick to pick up a box to do what they've asked of their team members. And they set by example and they lead by example. Yeah. And I'm not going to get you, I got to go on this one too, because you know, you, you're a designer, right? The difference between a good designer and a great one. You know, there's design. I'm not a designer. I, I believe I'm more of a marketer. Yeah, did I do designs and functionalities that I think were needed in the community? Yes. Okay. Um, but well, let's the, change it. The difference between a good marketer and a great one. Yeah, well, a great marketer uh, pivots. A great marketer uh, thinks outside the box and doesn't go the traditional ways. When I talk about design, when I think of when I think of people like Tom Ford or uh, people that or 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 DAP who physically made the pieces and envisioned pieces that, you know, that, I mean, when he, when you have somebody go down a runway with, yeah. with a beautiful piece, that's a designer. Um, now you do have designers who are great marketers at the same time. Jean-Paul Gaultier is a really great way because he designs in a marketing perspective, you know. Um, uh, but Louis Vuitton and Gucci are great marketers to me. Um, you know, they're able to market. Louis Vuitton will never go on sale, so that's part of the marketing. They'll burn all the goods that they don't sell. They'll keep the price up there. Uh, they will make trunks and they'll make various different other things. Their marketing is they're taking in, you know, Hermes uh, will, will, yeah. will do the seats on your boat and on your plane or the horses. Everybody's thinking Birkin. No, the, they're touch points of various different areas, and that's a great marketer. Yeah, wow. Man, I didn't even know that Louis Vuitton. I, I'm not a big Louis Vuitton. Listen, yeah. I'm, I come from an era. I, I see the kids walking around there. I saw Dickies. I'm saying yeah, yeah. Dickies. Come, I'm thinking, man, is the baggy era coming back here yeah. again? Yeah, mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's great. And that's how, it, you know, again, fashion is, it goes up and down. That's how it goes, yeah. yeah. Damon John, thank you so much. Congratulations again to uh, your fourth annual Black Entrepreneurs yeah. Day. Hopefully you can see fifth, sixth, and 25 years. I love it, man, and I just like to thank you for supporting, um, and for, uh, you know Forbes always supporting us. Yeah. And I do have to honestly say, you know, this one's coming up, and I, I don't know if we mentioned it, but you know we're really excited. We're gonna have Whoopi Goldberg there, Anthony Anderson, uh, Shaquille O'Neal, new president of Reebok, Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Cedric the Entertainer, yeah. uh, performed by Rick Ross, nice. and uh, and who have stuck by me, you know, um, you know, Chase and the General and uh, Shopify and Lowe's and actually two new companies said we are not doing enough. We're doing a lot. Um, McDonald's and uh, you know Hyatt and yeah. uh, got a shout out to T-Mobile. So yeah, well, um, tell them some some Forbes BLK way, man. We need some of that money too. So know? what? It's some send them Forbes BLK way. We need some of that money too. They they yeah. they probably will yeah, because they're yeah. looking for more uh, opportunities where. 
they can just keep not only doing that, but giving some of the resources they have too. So, yeah. and if we've proven anything, is we've proven in hip hop the last fifty years, right? Culture drives it, right? And who better know culture? Than we this? all know it. Yeah, we all know you yeah, do. Absolutely. Thank Congratulations you, again, man. Thanks for the time. And thank you, man. Appreciate thank you for the support.